Ahoy, authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Clark Chamberlain. Welcome to episode 130 of the Writership Podcast. Today, I'm talking with Grant Faulkner about writing with abandon. To learn more about the podcast, visit writership.com slash podcast. And since this is the last episode to go live before the 1st of July, I just wanted to remind you that you can grab a spot on my calendar at my old rates if you get in touch before July 1st. That's when rates for new clients will be going up. You can contact me through the website or write to me at hello at writership.com. Okay, now on to the episode. Today I'm joined by Grant Faulkner. He is the executive director of National Novel Writing Month and the co-founder of 100 Word Story. His stories have appeared in dozens of literary magazines and have been widely anthologized. His essays on creativity have been published in the New York Times, Poets and Writers, Writer's Digest, and The Writer. He recently published a book of essays on creativity called Pep Talks for Writers, 52 Insights and Actions to Boost Your Creative Mojo. Welcome, Grant. I am so excited that you could join me today. Likewise, Leslie. Thanks for having me on. So um, I want to talk, you know, where the topic today is writing with abandon. And I really I want to dive into that um, and kind of explore it. But, you know, before we really get into the the meat of that, could you talk a little bit about what that means, like generally and as a practical matter to write with abandon? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you you put it like that, that there's a kind of general sort of premise to it or practice and then and then there's like a practical application and I think I think generally it it is about letting the words gush out you know I have this theory that the best stories are those where the author has been vulnerable on the page you know we read to connect with others and we read also to connect with their vulnerability uh, because so you know our daily lives people are relatively guarded um, so stories come alive with vulnerability. And I think writing with abandon, um, it, it, it's almost like being an improv actor. And if you know about the, the kind of principles of uh, improv theater, uh, the, the, the one rule is, is to say yes and to your fellow actors on stage. So, so if you and I were on a stage and, and you delivered, you know, if you, whatever you did, I would have to receive that and build on it. I wouldn't question it or, or, or shove it aside. And so I think writing with abandon is saying yes to our ideas and building on them, not saying no. Um, and so I think it helps us reach that, that moment of vulnerability and helps us find the true story. But then its practical application is I think that uh, writers, you know, are just famous for setting up, you know, an assortment of obstacles between them and putting words on the page. And so 
Um, I think of when I when I first started writing novels, I would I would endlessly write and rewrite the first chapter, trying to get it perfect before I could move on. But the, but the first draft is really about exploring your story and finding your story. And what I was doing when I was you know kind of in that paralysis of perfection was that um, I wasn't I wasn't exploring the story so much. And so I think writing with abandon just it, it's a matter it's a it's a way to give yourself permission to put your your story story on the page and not worry about being perfect, but just finding that story in the rough draft. Oh, that's great. So, so in your own writing practice and routines, like how does that, how does that look? Where does that fit in the overall process from say idea to I'm ready to publish this? Well, it's a very NaNoWriMo method, of course, you know, our, our, our you know framework is to write fifty thousand words of a novel in a month, so I really use it most when I'm writing a rough draft, the first draft, and um, you know K- Karen Russell, the the writer, she says that ninety percent of your rough draft doesn't even make it into the final draft, and so uh, once you accept that, you can kind of enjoy writing badly, and writing badly is in quotation marks. So that's the way I think of it: is is to not get hung up on on whether it's good or bad, but to to write that rough draft, just get the words on the page so that you can edit them later. You know, you can't edit a blank page. Um, but that said, you know, sometimes I use it also in in, in revision. You know, revision you. you you don't stop writing in revision. You're oftentimes writing more and expanding scenes. And and when I hit moments that I'm, I'm not exactly, the words aren't exactly flowing or the story's not exactly flowing, I'll step away from my laptop and just write, you know, as, as fast as I can on, on, on a piece of paper just to kind of um, reframe the story and give it, a, give it a different angle. Right, right. So when... You know, one of the things in your book, Pep Talks for Writers, that I was noticing is that, you know, for for NaNoWriMo, right, you've got a structure. And that structure is the audacious goal and a deadline. And those are really powerful motivators together. And you also, of course, have the the community of fellow adventurers. And so, and November is a big month. And I know you have camps, as well. So you have NaNoWriMo camp coming up in July. Yeah. Just around the corner. And and there's a camp in April as well. Yep. Camp NaNoWriMo. I, I always say it's a more casual version of NaNoWriMo. Okay. Uh, it happens in April and July. So while the community isn't as enormous, you know, when you write a novel in November during National Novel Writing Month, it can feel like the whole world is writing a novel with you. Uh-huh. Um, and, and camp still has a lot of people doing it. Uh, we, we get about 70,000 people a year sign up for Camp NaNoWriMo, wow. 35,000 or so in April and another 35,000 in July. Mm-hmm. And the distinction, the reason I say it's more casual is that you can write any type of writing project. It doesn't have to be a novel, it can be a memoir, an epic poem, a screenplay. Uh, you can also set different um, levels of, of a goal. So you don't have to set 50,000 words as your goal for the month. You can write 10,000 words, 20,000 words, or you can revise for 50 hours. So it's it's pretty wide open. Oh, that's great. And so when you're when you've got that, when you've got like the big event, right, you're all pumped up for it and yeah. ready to go. You've got extra snacks and you tell everyone, I'm not available this month. Just leave me be. So then 
on December 1st or August 1st or May 1st, depending on when you participate, how do you keep that going that, you know, the in the absence of the deadline and the audacious goal? Because you've kind of, you know, um, hopefully that, you know, we've been successful in, in reaching our goal. And so after that, how do we keep that going year Absolutely. after year, it's, day after day? It's a challenge that I hear from a lot of writers. And I think part of it is, just as you said, you know, doing NaNoWriMo is just such a big, big, you know, thing to do. It's a big achievement if you win. It's like, you know, climbing a mountain or running a marathon. And it's a pretty intense month-long experience. And and afterwards, you definitely need to uh, rest a little bit, take a week off, two weeks, maybe a whole month from your novel. Um, but yeah, I, I, that, that, to answer your question, I mean, that's kind of the reason I wrote the book, or it is the reason, is that I heard that from so many uh, NaNoWriMo participants that they wanted to write year-round. And so uh, pep talks for writers includes 52 essays and, you know, an essay per week, essentially, the message is, is to nourish your creative mindset every day of the year and to make creativity a priority. It might not be the sort of priority that you make it in November when you write 50,000 words in a month. But the important thing is to keep that momentum that you've established in November and come up with a game plan for the rest of the year. And so I, I really think it's important to write regularly. So and that can mean just 15 minutes a day. One of my favorite stories about authors is Toni Morrison. She wrote her first novel. She was a single working mom. And after she put her kids to bed, she would write for just, she really only had 15 minutes to herself each day. And they weren't the best creative minutes. Uh, She was exhausted. Mm -hmm. But she wrote for 15 minutes a day. And that's how she put together her first novel. So I always say that, that big things are created in small increments. And so trust that daily progress, even if it's just a little bit each day. And and think about it, in that 15 minutes that Toni Morrison wrote, you can write 250 words, say, in 15 minutes. Uh, if you write 250 words a day, that's 7,500 words a month, that's 90,000 words a year, that's a really nice, healthy-sized novel. So the, the book really includes a lot of um, tips for both nourishing your creative mindset to keep setting goals, to hold yourself accountable, and to realize your creative dreams. That's wonderful. And I feel like this is a little bit of a softball question. Uh, <laughs> but but I think it's important because we do forget. But you know, why does all of this matter? You know, what's at stake if we don't do this? Yeah, well, I think... Um, for me, I mean, sometimes I'll tell people or I'll invite them to do National Novel Writing Month and I'll hear them say, well, I'm not a creative type. And and that really disturbs me because I think that every person is a creative type. That's the definition of being a human being, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, when, when we're kids and go to preschool, we'll play music or finger paint or, or sing songs. You know, we, we do that without it really thinking about it. But I think something happens as we grow older and become adults, all the shoulds in our life stack up and, and, and creativity falls lower and lower on our to-do list and sometimes off of our to-do list entirely. 
And so I think writing is is very important, especially if that's your method of expression. Uh, it's important to create. And when I say create, it doesn't mean that you publish your book necessarily. It's just important to have a creative life. And I think that when we view ourselves as creators, uh, we're not only creative on the page, we're creative in our entire life. So we can make the world a better place by seeing ourselves as creators. So that's my ultimate answer of why it's important. Uh, I love that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a believer that stories can change the world, whether we're writing about our own experience and, you know, processing it or sharing so that we can, you know, learn about the experience of other people and kind of, you know, have a deeper understanding of the world and all of the variations of experience and and that. So it really that really resonates with me. Totally. I love how you say that, 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 you know, stories, I always say stories are the way we make meaning of the world. You know, we, we are wired, we are storytelling creatures from the beginning of time, um, from, you know, when they have discovered cave, you know, paintings in caves from, right. from prehistoric people, they were telling stories about the world. And through those stories, they were telling, you know, either where to go to hunt or what to fear, you know, so, so stories are our map, really. Um, I recently wrote last fall, um, a, an essay for, uh, the national, uh, what is it called? The national day of writing, which is, I think every October 20th. And, and one of the great things about it is that there's a hashtag why I write on Twitter where people jump in and say why they write. And so it's fascinating to hear all the reasons why people write. And, and what I realize is that there, there are endless numbers of reasons to write. There's really not a finite cap. Uh, I happen to write an essay with a hundred reasons. I challenged myself to come up with a hundred reasons. Um, and the national writing project published that. So that was fun to do, but, but like, you say i think stories shape how we see life i think they expand our notion of life and and part of the reason i write is that i want to see the world through other people's eyes and i think that in the end for writers and readers that helps build our tolerance and, and empathy yeah absolutely we could we could use more of that for yeah, sure yeah i think we need a lot more of that these days <laughs> yeah so when we're you know we're, we're talking about writing with abandon and i love that and, and then one of your pep talks in your book, it talks about embracing constraints. And that looks like a paradox. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit about the way they work together or push against each other or how do, you know, how do we think about it in those two different ways? Yeah, I think I think constraints, it's, it's a, an ironic paradox, I guess. You know, most writers... We all want this wonderful expanse of luxurious time, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like sometimes I resent the fact that I have to put gas in my car or wash the dishes, you know, because I, I just want time to sit and write and ruminate. Um, but the fact is, is that most of us will never get a truly luxurious expanse of time. Uh, our lives uh, put constraints on us. Uh, time constraints and and all those shoulds on our to-do list that I mentioned. Um, so I think we forget though that 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 creativity really happens at its most in, in its most intense form when there is a constraint. So constraints are good for us, I think. Um, and so just to use the NaNoWriMo constraint of. 30 days to write 50,000 words, what that does is that puts pressure on you to show up every day and write a certain number of words, about 1,700 words. So in that sense, a constraint is really a wonderful creative tool because it's a, it's a real motivator. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And, and, you know, 
I've heard a, lots of people talk about that, you know, that that if you were to have, if there were no constraints, so even if you, for some reason, didn't have to put gas in your car, wash the dishes, get groceries, and, you know, all of the the things we have to do, that it wouldn't necessarily help. Like we wouldn't actually buckle down and do it. I, I think that's exactly true. When I've known some people, um, I always tell this story about a friend of mine in my 20s who uh, he did not have a job. Uh, he did not have kids. Uh, he happened to have a trust fund. He had just he did have a wonderful, expansive time. But he he and he wanted to be a writer, but he rarely produced anything. And I, I, I think that you can have too much time. Uh, sometimes. And we always say in NaNoWriMo, if you want to get something done, ask, ask a busy person to do it. And I think that's because, you know, busy people, um, they, whatever, they're, 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 those constraints in their lives put pressure on them. And so they, they hustle to get the things that are important to them done. And for me, you know, I'm a working parent as well. And I, I say that I have to, I have to approach my day much more strategically than I did before I was a parent. And so I, need to identify those nooks and crannies of time in my day when I can be productive. So that might be like Toni Morrison, just 15 minutes before going to bed, or I might, you know, be able to organize my life so I can fit in an hour here or an hour there. But the main thing is it's just to keep going and to have that momentum. Yeah. I, it occurred to me while you were talking, yes, the idea that it is, you know, we bring intention to our lives, more intention when we have those constraints. We have to think about it more. It can't be just, oh, I'll get to it. Because Exactly. You said it better than I did. I rambled for five minutes and you put it in one sentence. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's, that's the, constra- the creative constraint in action. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, um, another thing that you talked about, and I th- this is a real hang-up I notice for a lot of writers, is the you know is actually that label the, of a real writer or a bona fide writer. And so, what I'm wondering about is why do we get hung up on that when, you know, it's you know. St- well, you mentioned, for example, Agatha Christie had, I think, 10 books before she would say, okay, now I am a writer. But so at what point it, does that actually begin? And, and why do we have a struggle with that? It's an interesting struggle, isn't it? And sometimes I think writers are more prone to it than, say, musicians or artists or or people in other creative endeavors. I, I think it's because when we tell people we're a writer, the follow-up question is usually, what have you published? And I think that we, you know, being a writer, you, you know, it's 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 such a challenging thing that I think writers are just kind of naturally uh, have a lot of self doubt to reckon with, and a lot of that doubt is good. I think a lot of that doubt like helps us become better writers because we're questioning our words on the page, but a lot of that doubt can lead to bad places. And so when people are asking, "Oh, what have you published?" and if you haven't published anything, you kind of can feel fake, um, or that you're only a real writer if you've published. Um, but I think of people who. Who knit, you know, I know a lot of knitters and when, when they're knitting a sweater, they, they don't get asked, uh, are you opening up a sweater store, you know, or are you putting out a sweater catalog? Um, they can just knit and enjoying knit, knitting for the sake of knitting. And I think the same thing should, should apply to writing. You know, you are a writer because you write, you know, if you sit down every day and write, you're a writer in my book. 
Do you remember a time ever when you, when it felt weird to you to say, I'm a writer? Did you ever feel reluctant to claim that? Absolutely. Yes. I went through all of this. You know, I, I dreaded the question uh, of, you know, if I was at a cocktail party or a dinner party and meeting new people and people asked me what I did. And especially back in my 20s and early 30s before I'd published much, um, yeah, I would always, if I said I was a writer, I'd kind of mumble it. I'd be super, you know, sort of, yeah, mumbly and full of self-doubt. And then I'd always get that follow-up question, what have you published? And then if I said I hadn't published anything or if I listed a few short stories here or there, I'd always see their eyes kind of glaze over, you know. <laughs> I'd, I'd see them make their judgment that I was kind of a pretend writer, not a real writer. And that hurts. Um, and so I think that's one reason that, that it's really important for writers to seek and nourish a community of other writers, because I think, you know, you're, everyone has gone through those same experiences. I've never talked to a writer who didn't grapple with this very question. Uh, yeah, that's, yeah, it, it occurs to me too, that we, because writing is something that pretty much everybody do does, you know, the, the mechanics of it, right? Mm -hmm. You, you know, if, if you are literate, you can write, you can put words on the page, form sentences and that. And so if you are a writer with a capital W, then you have to be like, it's almost like there has to be some special status or, um, you get knighted somewhere or something. Yeah, you know, exactly. To make it official. And yeah, you wouldn't do that with a musician. Yeah, I mean, you, you might. I, I, I don't really know, but I do think I, I just have this theory that writers grapple with this more than, than other artists. Um, I think a lot of it's because what we do is invisible to other people as well. You know, I think if you're a musician, you can whip out your guitar and sing a song. And I guess you can share a story if you're a writer, but, 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 but most, so much of our time is like spent in solitude. And we're, we are writing and trying to create something that's wonderful and perfect. And so, yeah, I think it's a little more hidden, a little harder to make your case that you're, you're the real thing, that you show up and do it every day. Right. So, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking about, you know, writing with abandon and really, you know, really embracing this, this idea of being vulnerable and, and sharing, you know, essentially your, your essence with, with other people. And is there, are there any pitfalls or any places where we can get into trouble in writing with abandon? Well, you know, I, I I don't think it's so much of getting into trouble by 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 adopting that as a kind of creative part of your creative process. I think it's more. I think of of you know, there's there's every writer really has a different process, and uh, you know, they're morning writers, evening writers, um, people who write in big big gushes. They'll they'll write a novel in you know a month or two, and then they might not write for six more months. I mean, I've just heard so many different types of stories. Um, so I think it's more important to experiment with your creative process and to try new things and that writing with abandon is just one tool in your tool case or your toolkit. Uh, so I, you know, I, I tend to write my first drafts with abandon, NaNoWriMo style. But as I said, I, I also, you know, will pull out 
a writing with abandon moment, you know, when I'm in a revision um, and apply it at different different stages when I kind of need it to be there. But, you know, sometimes you don't need to write with abandon. Sometimes you need to, you know, I think when I'm more in revision mode, more in editorial mode, I'm looking to to cut. <laughs> I might even be looking to editing with abandon. I always say that, that when you're, at least with some revisions, if your word count is going up, that's a bad sign. <laughs> Sometimes you need it to be going down and that shows that you're doing the real work of, of, you know, making it more concise, making it more efficient, cutting, killing your darlings as the saying goes. So, yeah, I, I just think writing with abandon is one more tool in your toolkit. Yeah. So when you're. And it does take practice though. I mean, sorry to interrupt, but I think if you, you know, I noticed that the people, especially the teen writers in our program, when they've grown up with that, practicing writing with abandon, they're, they're kind of writing with abandoned muscles, just like much bigger than mine. <laughs> I mean, I, I grew up uh, writing very, I think, taking the slow method of writing. And that's, that's also fine. Uh, again, that's just another tool in my toolkit is to be more methodical. But I think it is important that when you try out writing with abandon that you don't, if you do it just for one morning or two mornings, I would give it a bigger shot than that. I would, I mean, that's why NaNoWriMo is great is because you can do it for 30 days and really like uh, go deeply into it and see what it gives you as a writer. Yeah. So when you're... Um... When you're in a in writing with abandon mode and you want to, you know, so that's the that's the task for yeah. the moment, then what does that look like? Do you are you writing by hand? Are you typing in a particular program? How does that how does that specifically look? You know, I think it can look however you want it to look. I've talked to people who have written their whole fifty thousand word novels during NaNoWriMo by hand. I, uh, I personally cannot do that because my hand will just cramp up and fall off, uh, if not my entire arm. Um, I mean, I love writing by hand, but I just can't do it that strenuously. Right. So I do type. I think people do. Again, they have different uh, levels of, um, I guess, comfort levels. Um, like I know some people who they do not hit the delete key and they just they, they, everything they do is about moving their word count forward. Uh, I happen to not be one of those people. I like to hit the delete key. I like to pause and reflect on a paragraph and tweak a few things before moving on. And by doing that, that gives me momentum, a certain amount of uh, creative momentum to know that I've kind of tidied up a few things. But the but the principle is is not you know when tidying up is very different than than going into deep edits and and rewriting a paragraph endlessly. And so I think that's when you're you're holding yourself back because I do think that writing that rough draft, it, progress is very important. And I love this quote by Joyce Carol Oates. She said that you don't know the first word of your novel until you've written the last word. And the reason I think that's important is that she is really talking to how you find your story and explore your, your explore your, your story in that first draft. And then once you've reached the end, that's when you can come back and you know what the story is and you can write that first sentence. You know, that is so true because I think, you know, I have a lot of people who come to me who have, they've written the story and they're kind of, they're in there and they don't, they don't really have it all figured out until they get to the end of it. And then they, you know, of course, the, in the process of revision, we go back to the beginning with that new understanding and make changes then. But that we don't, you know, even people who are, you know, plotters who are have the story all planned out 
in advance are still discovering, I think, while they're writing and finding out new facets of and aspects of the story they're trying to write. I hope so. I think I think one of the dangers of outlining is that sometimes you can outline yourself into a corner mm-hmm. and you can kind of supposedly figure out your story before writing it. And so people um, find it less creatively stimulating sometimes to be kind of connect, just connecting the doc, dots or filling in the dots. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do think that even if you're an outliner and an outliner, I'm not, I don't mean to disparage it in any way. It's, it's a great uh, way to approach a novel. But I think I would view it as a very loose outline and to be very flexible with it, because part of the joy of writing is that we're pursuing mystery. We're writing for mystery. And so I think we always have to allow those those um, those moments of that pursuit to be part of our writing, no matter what stage you're in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's part of it to me and a lot of what, you know, in the writing practice that I do where I just have a topic and go. And I do handwrite when I'm doing writing practice um, just because of, well, I'm able to and it, you know, and it kind of works for my process, but I just go, you know, and don't, and explore things. And um, it feels like I can access parts of my, like my memory and things I think that I can't really access when I'm just, you know, like writing an email. I'm not going to discover anything cool right. there. <laughs> right. It's an entirely different kind of writing. And I, lo- I love um, whoever said this. I think a bunch of people did uh, that writing is thinking. And I do think that there's a lot of value in writing by hand. I try to write by hand. You know, I definitely weave that into my writing process and I think what's good about it and sometimes undervalued is that writing by hand it really slows you down just by necessity right you can't write as fast uh, with a pen as you can on a on a laptop or a keyboard and so I think there is something about that tactile nature of the pen on a piece of paper and writing more slowly and letting your thoughts kind of percolate in between your brain and your hand. There's just something about that that little distance there that can be really creatively wonderful. Yeah, I agree, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but so I'm I'm curious about, you know, in your in the writing that you do, you know, for you know, professionally and then personally, if there are particular questions or topics or things that you keep coming back to that you circle and and discover in that process of writing with abandon yeah that's an interesting question i bet uh people if you if you read i'd be really interested to hear what readers would say you know Mm -hmm. sometimes i don't think we're necessarily conscious of the stories that we keep going back to or we're not conscious of how repetitive those might be I forget. I, I think somebody said that um, most people ha- just have one great story in them, you know, and then and then they the rest or most authors have one story in them and they just keep kind of writing it with through different angles or different lenses. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know if I if I do have a clear answer to that question, but I but I sometimes think, you know, I grew up in this small town in Iowa and one of the things that intrigued me was, you know, the, the, the kind of public presentation that people, you know, how they presented themselves in public versus 
um, the stories or the rumors or the gossip about, you know, how we would hear about their lives, you know, and there sometimes was a huge disconnect. And so I've always been interested in, in that, like how every, every person has a multiplicity of selves uh-huh. and um, it can sometimes be difficult to express some of those hidden selves, especially in a small town. Uh, so small towns are full of drama. So I do love uh, writing stories that are set in small towns. Um, and there's that difficulty of belonging, you know, as human beings, we're always searching for ways to belong and to find our people, our voices. And so I think all those kind of bundled together are the themes that I'm writing about. And of course, I always have characters uh, just doing the wrong thing, <laughs> searching for the answers in the wrong ways. And I think that that's a, a fascinating thing, too. Yeah. So when you, um, you know, like you talk about writing from, uh, you know, in a, like, or growing up in a small town, I did too. And it was a very, it's an interesting thing. And then I live in a very different place because I grew up in New England and now I live in Texas. And um, so like, I'm wondering about how the place, you know, the places you've been, the places that you write about and how that kind of, um, how that changes the way you look at things. Yeah, well, I, I again, I'm, I'm gonna forget this quote, but um, uh, it, Mark Twain said the quote, but I'm not gonna remember it. But basically, the the, the premise is, is that the more you travel, you know, you're you're opening your, yourself up to so many different types of people. You're making yourself um, much more tolerant because you're experiencing just just the whole variety of, of human beings. Um, and you're also opening up your senses to different foods and different sounds and different songs and different stories. And so I think that those, you know, I view myself as just a cauldron of all those different kind of stimulating elements. Um, so it's wonderful. I mean, I, I feel like I have more permission to write about um, a variety of places and people as a result. Um, so, you know, I, me- I remember when I was was that uh, beginning writer back in my small town in Iowa, I remember writing a story that, you know, I was writing actually, ironically, back then I was trying to write stories about people in cities. Uh-huh. Um, and I guess there is that sense of the exotic because I wasn't a city person, but I did, I wanted to be. Uh, but I didn't, you know, I also was, um, you know, bashful about going in that direction because I'd never lived in New York City. So I, I just remember wondering, can I write about this place that I've never been to? Um, and the answer is yes, of course. You know, you just have to use your imagination. But but I think that those experiences, it would have been harder if I had never visited any city, for instance. So, yeah, I, I think it's interesting. Play, place plays a big role in my imagination. Um, and I, I do, especially now that I've moved away from Iowa and it's been a number of years since I've lived there, I am more and more intrigued by it, interestingly enough. I feel the same way about my hometown. And yeah, I'm very like that. It, that was a different world. <laughs> yeah, it suddenly becomes exotic. Like I am both very much of that place and, and a creature spawned by that place. But at the same time, I'm not of that place. It's, it's now somewhat, you know, unfamiliar. So I have, have a foot on each side of the fence, essentially. And I think that's a great place to be as a writer, though, to be, to, to, to be part of something, but also to be somewhat distant from it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, you know, and just in terms of point of view and understanding point of view in story and understanding your own personal point of view 
um, and perspective on things, you know, as they're happening. And then when you get distance and that's, you know, all the story nerd things that we could. (laughs) Yeah. Well, distance is really important. I think, I think if you're too, too, um, I don't know, in the stew of, of life in a place, I don't think you will have that perspective to, you know, to truly capture it perhaps. I don't know. Well, I, yes, that, the, the saying that I've heard oftentimes is that, the, that fish can't see the water that they're swimming in, basically. And so, yeah, having that perspective because, you know, you don't know what's normal. And then, yeah, then you move away or you go to college or whatever, and then you realize your family is really crazy. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and that kind of thing. But, yeah, I love the those thoughts about perspective and point of view and how we look at things and how that changes over time my one of my favorite examples is um oh and now i'm gonna forget the titles but it's uh the sun also rises from Mm -hmm. Ernest hemingway and then a movable feast and in both of those books, one was fiction and written almost contemporaneously, and one was nonfiction, a memoir written many, you know, decades later, and that his, he saw things much more cynically as a young man than he did as an older man, which is really fascinating to me. Hmm. That's interesting. Now I want to go back and reread each of those books. <laughs> I read them when I was probably 20 or so, I think, um, and first decided to be a writer. Um, but I like that idea of reading them alongside each other. Mr. Fox was my uh, <laughs> my high school teacher who had us do that, re- you know, read both. And it was such a great experience. I love doing those kinds of things. Um yeah, I could geek out on point of view for a long time. And it's not that interesting a topic, I think, most of the time, because people think of it as, oh, those are the pronouns you use, right, in the in the story. And it's so much more than that, because it's the yeah. filter through which we see and experience everything. Absolutely. And, and just since you mentioned Hemingway, I think it is an immovable feast where he did say that um, he found it... Um, he, he like he wrote about all of his stories that took place in Michigan. He wrote them when he was in France, and he he found it beneficial to be far away and just to, to access those stories through his memory. And and I do think that that oftentimes is the way to write about places when you're not there. Yeah, yeah, and the meaning that it has will be different. Uh, yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh, good. Um. Yeah. So if you were you know, like think about like, what is your, what's your favorite thing about writing? Like if you're like, I'm, I'm going to force you to choose one or maybe two things. What do you think it would be? Gosh. Um, I, I like writing because I think especially in this, uh, I feel like our lives are getting crazier and more hectic for a number of reasons in general or at least that's the way I feel about my life. And so for me, writing is hitting a pause button. Mm. And it's the way when everything slows down and I'm just with with my thoughts. And it's a way 
it's a tool really to to observe life. And so as a writer, I think it it makes me more attuned to what's going on around me. And that can be anything from uh, observing people in a cafe, you know, and, and like you said, it's not just looking through like changing a perspective of the pronouns. It's like really kind of seeing life through their eyes. Um, and so, yeah, I just think it's, it's, it, it helps, it, it enriches life for me on that very fundamental level that it connects me to other people. Um, and, and just, just, you know, I, I oftentimes I give myself a challenge of writing down a certain number of observations per day or per week. And so, you know, if I write one observation down a day in my journal, and this isn't for publication, doesn't attach itself to any story, it's just a writing exercise. But that's valuable because then when I'm walking through my crazy day, it allows me to think, oh, I've got to, I've got to observe something and write it. So I'll pause and I'll, I'll notice more going on around me. Uh, that's great. I love that. Um, it reminds me of um, Langer, Ellen Langer, um, who talked about, you know, being present is about noticing things and in yeah. the environment and, and observing and making note. And Exactly. And I find that a bigger and bigger challenge every day. You know, like uh, when I'm taking my daughter to school in the morning, about one out of five times I miss the street I'm supposed to turn turn on. And that's just because I'm not present, because I'm caught up in my thoughts and all the to-do thing, to, to things on my to-do list for the day. And she she gets endlessly exasperated with me. <laughs> she cannot understand I could possibly miss the turn. But yeah, um, so, so I think writing helps me maybe notice the turn metaphorically, you know, because I, I do have to pause and notice. Ah, that's great. Yeah. So, so then the, you know, the flip side of that is, you know, the, the challenge, like what, what's your biggest challenge today? And is it different from how it was when you were younger, when you were first writing? Yeah, I really would love to go back to those days when I was first writing because I, I structured my life just for my best hours of writing. So I would wait tables in the evening or work in a bookstore just so I could have the mornings to write because morning is my time to write and I could write for three or four hours. Uh, but that was when I was single and that was when I uh, didn't need a whole lot of money to live. Uh, and now that I have kids and I'm a parent and, you know, live in a city, um, you know, the demands on my time and in every way are just, uh, you know, really spiked. And so I think the biggest challenge is, is just time. And it's not just, you know, the, the aspect of finding the time. It's, it's, it's uh, finding, uh, I guess, the consistency or the routine of time. I wake very early in the morning, uh, usually around 4.30 or 5, uh, specifically to find that time to write. So I might get in an hour, possibly an hour and a half of writing. But, you know, at six o'clock, I always have to turn the writing off and I have to go into the business of life or the business of being a writer, as I put it. And uh, that means replying to a bunch of emails, you know, and making sure my email queue uh, doesn't smother me and just attending to a number of different sort of practical matters. So, you know, so it's, it's you know, I, I do writing, my writing time gets scarcer and scarcer, unfortunately. I have to work harder and harder to find it and to keep it, um, to, to be there consistently. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and so when you were, when you were younger, that, you know, you had more time, you had more, um, yeah, I, it's funny because I, I think about, I have always thought 
that I didn't have much time. Yeah. I mean, I didn't either. I didn't think I had enough time back then either. But but I laugh at that now. <laughs> I mean, I, I just, yeah, yeah. I mean, I had, you know, huge, huge chunks of time uh, nearly every day. Um, and so I, I feel fortunate that I took advantage of that. I mean, those, that was essentially my tutorial. My writing boot camp was my, you know, early 20s when I structured my life like that and could could spend a few hours reading books in the afternoon and writing in the morning. Yeah. It's a beautiful way to live. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, so when you, you know, I'm, I'm sure that you you have received and and given a lot of writing advice over the years. And so what I'm wondering about is, you know, was there a, a one piece of advice that somebody gave you, you know, at just the right time and it clicked and it, and it changed things for you, you know, in a big way or a small way, but, but was really meaningful. Yeah. I don't, I don't think there was anything that was, you know, whatever rocked my world or, or totally changed me as a writer. I mean, I think, uh, innumerable tips of, you know, I mean, when I first started being a writer, I read all of those author interviews in the Paris Review. Mm -hmm. um, so which it, those interviews are a sense like this introduction to the writing life and people share their process. And I, I probably abs uh, absorbed, you know, their tips without even really knowing it. Um, I do, I'll, I'll, I'll relate one because I do remember when the person told me this and it was when I first became a writer and he was a much older writer and he just told me to, to always make sure that I have something in the, in the mail. And so this was pre-internet and what he meant by that was to always have something in, in submission. And it's, it's, it's less about the submission and more about the hope. I think like when you're, when you're writing and you don't have something out there to share with the world, um, your whatever self-doubt you have can get magnified. And uh, so for me, it's like, it's like having a lottery ticket in my pocket. There's a possibility that that lottery ticket just might win. And that kind of brightens my day. And the same thing when I have stories in submission, there's just that possibility out there that somebody's going to read it and want to publish it. And so that helps create momentum. Um, or has created helped create momentum for me. So I think that's it. Just it, it, like that momentum, we need we need um, those moments to to find momentum in our writing lives. That's fantastic. Um, you know, like makes me think about the thing when you if something is you put something off. Like the longer you put it off, the more painful it gets. And so if you are always doing you know, you always have something on submission, always something going out, then it's, you don't have time to build up that. Exactly. Pain. <laughs> you're, you, I mean, yeah, you're, no matter, I mean, your, your skin cannot get thick enough as a writer mm -hmm. and, you know, you're going to have your, your, your percentage of rejections versus what gets accepted for publication. It's just the, a minute percentage of your writing gets accepted for publication. And that's just the way it is for most writers. Mm -hmm. and so I do really think that you have to build in. This is the other thing. The reason I share this advice is what he was really telling me by always having something on submission is that you need to create um, a strategy for resilience mm -hmm. um, because resilience is a really, you, you need to be so resilient as a writer. And I've heard so many people tell me that, you know, they've sent stories out 
um, and and they've received you know two, three, four rejections, and then they give up at that point. And and I always say, no, 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 you got to you got to seek you know thirty rejections at minimum, you know. And and I think rejection is is maybe the best revision tool because when I you know I'll send a story out to five or ten publications, and if it gets rejected at all of them, then I will you know, look at it more closely and see if it needs to be revised. And so that rejection helps me go deeper into the story um, and then submit again, get it back out there again. That's fantastic. Oh, I love that, that take on it because it's not, it's not a rejection of you personally. It's this doesn't fit. There's something that doesn't work. Yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, Sylvia Plath has this beautiful quote. She said, I love my rejection slips. They show me I try. Oh, that's and so I think she's really operating from a growth mindset there. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's not defeating herself. She's just, you know, you know, if your story, if you believe in it, if it's important to you, those rejection rejections will only really help you deepen it. Right. Yeah. Is there any, um, is there any writing advice that you've heard over the years that you think, oh, that's just, that's just wrong. No, stop saying (laughs) that. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think, I think some of it's not wrong. It just needs to be interpreted. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think write what you know, a lot of writers get hung up on that because I think they take it quite literally, meaning you can only write about your life. Like I remember when I first heard that, I I questioned, I was like, does that mean I can only write about this small town in Iowa? Um, But no, you know, writing what you know is really about the, you know, writing what you know is the mulch of your imagination essentially. Um, So you can, you can write about any, anything really. I mean, you can, you're, you're, that's why we have imaginations and I would hate for anyone to limit their imagination by following a writing maxim like that. Um, I'll, I'll share one story that I was, um, some writing advice given to me by a non-writer when I first became a writer. Uh-huh. Um, this is the other thing about being a writer is I think a lot of non-writers like to give you advice. I don't know why that is. <laughs> I don't give medical doctors advice or, or lawyers or <laughs> guitar players. <laughs> um, but anyway, a lot of people feel free to give writers advice. Um, and this was a friend of my parents. And he took me aside when he first heard I was going to be a writer. And he said, you know what I would do? He's like, I would, I would get the top five best-selling books on the New York Times bestseller list, and I would study exactly what they do, and I would repeat it. Um, and and while I think it's really good to have mentor texts and to learn from your favorite authors, what he was really talking about was product development. So he was really telling me to study novels and to come up with their the reasons that they were successful and to kind of create another novel as a widget. Uh-huh. Um, and so I didn't get into writing uh, to develop products if I wanted to to make money from product development. He was also talking about making money, mm-hmm. uh, which is fine. <laughs> I, yeah. I welcome it. Um, but sometimes, you know, I think of my stories as my art, as my spiritual practice, they're not necessarily products that I that that I that I want to sell. That's not their end goal, really. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I, I I don't mean to diminish people who might take that approach, but it just doesn't doesn't work for me. I would have gotten into other lines of business if that's what I wanted to do. Right, right, yes. I think that's you know, and and of course, always that that advice is is personal, and that we have to adapt it and make it. You know, right? Because I think general advice is, you know, it's it's general. It doesn't necessarily serve the individual. Yeah, he was worried about my finances. 
I was worried about the expression of my soul. <laughs> so, so he, you know, his advice, I took it in, you know, good naturedly. In some ways, that was good. It helps me sharpen my own sort of reasons for doing it. Um, so, yeah. But, but yeah, you know, I think uh, being a writer, you get a lot of good advice, you get a lot of bad advice, and you just have to weed your way through it. Through it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So speaking of advice, we ordinarily do a an editorial mission where we give people a little homework or a little assignment to apply what we're working, you know, what we talked about um, in their writing life. And so I wondered if you had a favorite, um, a favorite, try this from your, from your pep talks book, because it's just chock full of great you know, what I would call missions or assignments or ways to practice what you're recommending in the essays. Well, thank you. Yeah, just to, to clarify for your listeners, at the end of each of the 52 chapters, there's there's a little try this, which, which as Leslie said, is, is sort of a mission, a writing action, a little bit of homework. You can do it in a lot of different ways. I think since the theme of the show is writing with abandon, I will uh, tell about a uh, kind of um, old time NaNoWriMo practice of a word sprint. And I've led uh, hundreds of word sprints. And the thing I find fascinating about them is I've never seen anyone not be able to write, which means to me that I've got scientific evidence that writer's block does not exist. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason I say that, so a word sprint operates you, what we do is we'll say, write for five minutes, write with abandon, write as fast as you can, and then we'll give a writing prompt. You know, the writing prompt can be a word randomly chose from the dictionary. It could be a photo. It could be a phrase. Like I oftentimes tell people that, you know, just, just write to this prompt. Um, she smelled the smoke before she saw the fire. And I've literally had people write for five minutes to that prompt and publish their story. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I think this, it, for me, like, I think we tell, you know, obviously we have moments of where we're staring at the blank page and we, it just feels like we cannot do it. We cannot come up with the words. But I think sometimes we tell ourselves we have writer's block and that there are simple techniques to get through it and around it. And a word sprint is one, one great one. And I guess what I'm always surprised by and I marvel at is just the magic of what's going on in our brain. Like if you give a prompt and tell people to write as much as they can in five minutes, they start writing right away. So there are words swirling about in our brains and stories and characters. And all we need to do is like open the door a little bit and they'll come gushing out. Right. Like like writer's block is a story that we tell ourselves. And that if we just stop so. telling the story, which is not to take, you know, there there are real challenges in, you know, like you talk about um, Toni Morrison and, you know, being a single mom and working long hours and all of that, like there are very real challenges in the world and writing makes life better. So what are you going to do? <laughs> yeah, there are real challenges. I don't mean to diminish those challenges. And when I say I don't believe in writer's block, I also know that, you know, if you've got severe depression or have gone through trauma, a traumatic experience, those those can they can be a huge block and, and you will not be able or might not be able to write. So I, I but I think that those are different than writer's block. Right. I think writer's block is more like an everyday occurrence where you, you know, you 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 intend to write, you open up your laptop. Uh, you don't feel the words coming, so you say, I've got writer's block. 
Right. Yeah. So it's believing the thought, oh, I can't write today or I don't have anything. There's nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So tell yourself you got something, uh, whether you need to give yourself a prompt or just decide I've got something. Let's put some words on the page. I mean, the other thing is like when you write one sentence, it creates its own momentum. It le- generally leads to a second sentence, which leads to a third, you know. So sometimes you just got to get that first sentence done. Uh, it's kind of like jumping into a cold wool cold pool of water, I guess. Once you're in, it starts to warm up. Right, right. Excellent. I love that. I love sprints. And I think that's an excellent, excellent mission for this week. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me. It's been a real treat. And I'm, yeah, so I want to urge everyone to grab a copy of Peck Talks for Writers, 52 Insights and Actions to Boost Your Creative and um, oh, Creative Mojo. Let me creative Mojo, yeah. Make sure I get that right. Creative Mojo. Yeah. Um, and to and if you're on the fence about you know Camp NanoRimo, jump in. Like you you have nothing to lose. Just go. Do it and get some work done. Get some words down. Yeah, that's right. It's free. Nothing to lose there. Uh, you can just sign up at campnanoramo.org. Uh, it starts July 1st. So set yourself a goal and do some summer writing. Excellent. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, thank you, Leslie. This was fun. Here are a few reminders as we wrap up the show. You can find the editorial mission as well as links and other items mentioned during the episode in the show notes at writership.com slash episodes. While you're there, you can sign up to get the editorial missions delivered to your inbox. A big thank you to our Patreon crew. They cover the cost of hosting and my time in preparing the episode and show notes. If you appreciate the show and want to show your support, consider joining us. New rewards will be announced in a few days. To find out more, check out patreon.com slash writership. If you're looking for other ways to show your support for the podcast, you can leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. There are handy instructions for this on the podcast page. Or tell a writer friend about us. Okay, that's it for episode 130. I'll see you next time on the Writership Podcast.